Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Before we begin today, I want to remind you there is wealthformula.com as well. Lots of resources for you to check out. Also, various lists to sign up, groups like our Accredited Investor Club. If you're interested in potentially seeing some deal flow and you want to get onboarded with that, you have to be an accredited investor. Uh, go to wealthformula.com and sign up for Investor Club and get that going. Today, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, sort of a big picture thing. We're going to do a book club with uh, Rod and Christian Allen on Die With Zero. It's a book by Bill Perkins. You know, and, and in reading this, I used to, so I was just reminded, you know, I used to be a guy who prided myself on being really a minimalist. And, and I'm talking about until fairly recently, like, you know, those of you know, for a long time, I just drive around in my little Prius and uh, didn't care about anything, despite doing pretty well financially, you know, uh, that 2007 Prius I bought, you know, the day after residency until just a couple of years ago. Uh, but that wasn't it. I mean, it wasn't just a Prius that was emblematic of everything else. My clothes didn't fit. I never shaved. I was about 25 pounds heavier because I didn't really care how I looked. I also really didn't spend much on vacations or special events. I used to just blame that one on parenthood, right? Like, that's easy to do. Well, I don't really go anywhere. I don't do anything because, well, I got kids and it's hard to do that. And it, it's funny looking back because I uh, sort of took pride in my rejection of material possessions and my frumpy looks. In a way, I was sort of giving society the finger. But then all hell broke loose, and namely uh, the beginning of COVID lockdown and the end of my marriage, which, well, they happened at the same time, so it was a little rough. And so confused and disoriented, I uh, didn't know what to do, so, well, I just began to hike. I hiked the beautiful mountains of Montecito. It sort of reminds me of the movie Forrest Gump. For those of you who remember, this is an awesome movie. And if you haven't seen it, you need to see Forrest Gump, one of the best movies ever made. Anyway, there's a part where Forrest, he just decides to get up one day and, and run. And he keeps going back and forth across the country until he, he seemed to figure something out. Well, I hiked so much during those days uh, back uh, 2020. I pretty quickly shed most of my extra weight, which was, uh, which was good. But I also spent a lot of time meditating on my life through those gorgeous trails uh, every day. And it made me see what I had become. Kind of repulsive, frankly. Okay, I know you're saying, well, that's kind of harsh, right? Man, you weren't repulsive. I used to see you there before, before you started shaving and all that. You weren't repulsive. You just thought you were old and fat. 
Well, anyway, bottom line is I needed to update my self-image for myself. And it started out with material things. You know, not that it's all about material things, but I bought that Italian sports car I always wanted. I bought clothes that actually fit me and that were actually younger, newer than my kids. And I started to take my health seriously. And again, again, I, uh, you know, I did start shaving every day, which you probably noticed. You know, they say the word, the Chinese word for crisis is the same word as it is for opportunity. So I took this crisis as an opportunity to overhaul my life and start over. And in starting over, I became acutely aware that I had wasted a lot of my life not really living it, right? And that's material or otherwise. I wasn't really enjoying myself very much. I just didn't want to I just didn't want to spend the money. Uh, But why wasn't I spending any of this money that I was working so hard to make? After all, I can't take the money with me after I'm gone. I'd already done a good job of setting my kids up with assets and insurance and all that stuff. So why not spend on me? Well, that's what I started doing. And I have to tell you, it's a lot more fun than the alternative And maybe, maybe I'm spending too much right now. But hey, I've got a lot to make up for. I got a lot of time to make up for. So now I'm buying the stuff I want. Also, maybe more importantly, probably more importantly, living a life full of new experiences. And the funny thing is that uh, this was supposed to be about me, right? But I found out that it's been also great for my young daughters. Now we travel more. We go to a lot of cool events. Took my daughter to the Grammys. Uh, taking my 10-year-old DNFL draft because that's what she wanted to do inside the Grammys. That's kind of funny, huh? Anyway, so why do I bring this up again? Well, a couple of months ago, a friend of mine who's also a Wealth Formula listener texted me and suggested I read this book by Bill Perkins called Die With Zero. And when I did it, I was like, yeah, this really encapsulates a lot of my new ethos and what I was thinking about. Now, he's an engineer, so he quantifies it more than I do. But anyway, I thought it was worth sharing. So I grabbed a couple of guys you know, Rod and Christian, from Wealth Formula Banking fame, and we did a book club. And it's, I think you'll find it very interesting. And we will have that little book club after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guests are, of course, uh, very well known to the Wealth Formula podcast are Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie of Wealth Formula Banking fame. Uh, guys, welcome. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, bud. Um, Always happy to be back, bud. Oh, Thanks good. for having us. Good, good, good. And uh, you guys have an event of your own coming up pretty soon. You want to you wanna mention that real quick? Yeah, Rod, plug it for us. Absolutely, yeah. So May 4th, we have our virtual summit. We're calling it the Alternative Wealth Building Summit for High Income Earners. And we have some really cool speakers, uh, none less than Buck Joffrey himself will be joining us as, as one of our speakers. But we also have Sharon Lecter, Ken McElroy, uh, Adam Carroll, Tom Wilwright, Chris Larson, and ourselves. So anyway, we have a, a pretty cool lineup. That'll be fun. I um, Yeah. Most of the people on this podcast have heard heard my shtick before, but I assume there'll be a few others there listening as well. But uh, yeah, so if, yeah, if you have anyone that's interested, they can check us out at mivirtualsummit.com. Mi, mi oh, money okay. m for money. Ah, for got it, got it, got it. Mivirtualsummit.com. Yep, and it's just one. It's just like a pack day full of yeah. um, all sorts of good stuff. I think it's going to be really valuable. So thanks for letting us uh, throw it out on your yeah, podcast. Yeah, button. yeah. So today, okay, so here's what happened, right? And um, I was reading this book, uh, Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. And I thought, boy, this is, you know, this is a uh, this is a book that's very relevant to our cohort, you know, our, our Wealth Formula Nation and the people in the sort of working really hard and, and uh, uh, maybe not paying a lot of attention to their own lives and putting things off and that kind of thing. And so I'd actually reached out uh, to uh, Bill Perkins and um, I think like I was not on his list of things that were worth time (laughs) 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 to be on. So that's okay. I I still appreciated the book. I'm not going to take it personally. Um, I think, you know, there there are some other podcasts that have had him who I think he he thought was uh, maybe more worth his time, but that's fine. Um, Anyway, so this so this is a, a um, this book uh, called Die with Zero. Um, again, really, what it, it's about is this idea of optimizing your life uh, by making the most out of your time, money, and energy. And it's divided like sort of you know into different parts. Um, but I want to kind of uh, you know get your your guys's. Well, first of all, let me give you my take, my initial sort of gestalt on it. I think it's a very interesting. Um, uh, it's an interesting book and I think it's worth a read because I think so many people in our, you know, in our world, I mean, they're, they're making a lot of money. I mean, relatively, right. And they're making mm-hmm. maybe a half million, a million, whatever, plus even, even a few million doesn't matter. Um, but most of the time in order to do that, they are working pretty hard and they don't have a lot of time on their right. hands and that kind of thing. And then the game becomes, you know, sort of the, um, uh, as he describes it, you know, the, 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 this tyranny of more, of constantly wanting more and constantly wanting more, when the ultimate goal that he is uh, ascribing to is to, uh, you know, the goal is to die with zero. And what he means by that is using up all your resources, not just money, but time and, and also your energy before it's too late and, and, and you drop dead. Um, what's your, I'm curious on kind of like what that, those initial thoughts made you think of. 
So maybe I'll start first. I have a I have an anecdote that will that hit close to home in this because my own dad died at the ripe old age of forty nine no from kidding. pancreatic cancer. Oh boy! How so, old are you, Christian? You can you know. I'm almost forty. I'm turning forty okay, okay. Uh, well, in less than a month. You're a youngster. Okay. So, okay, yeah. but but here's the thing: like it, it does it does hit home in a really meaningful way when I think about this idea that my parents, who uh, were probably upper middle class and maybe not as not maybe not as high income earner as the average person on this show uh, that's listening to our show here, but but I think. Um, the principles absolutely applied. He spent much of his life saving, working hard. He was like, like I said, kind of this upper middle class and, you know, he saved like crazy so that he could retire at the age of 55. That was his goal date. The problem was he just never made it there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like all of that, like, and that's where the idea of this really resonates is that you could spend all of your time, energy, effort, reaching for this goal that you ultimately never get. And that, and so for me, like that was the initial reaction. And then I had this conflicting feeling of like the financial advisor in me. That's like, well, (laughs) how many people out here are just like happy to save anything? So we probably don't want to tell them to keep spending. But, But anyway, once, once I was able to like rectify the idea that it really has to do, like it is specific to, the high income earner, high, uh, um, high net worth audience. This is not for people who don't have discretionary income. Yeah. And he mentions that. Yeah. And just to anyway. be clear, like, you know, just to be clear on this, like Bill Perkins is, you know, got a lot of money, right? He's like a, a oil and gas hedge fund yeah. guy and all that stuff. So, so some of this may, uh, you know, um, I think for some people reading it, I think it's going to be like, well, easy for you to say, buddy. But like, I, <laughs> right. I, I yeah. think, I think that it, it's relevant to various degrees to, to everybody. How about you, Rod? Yeah, my take is that uh, I think as he makes points, he he makes extreme points. Yeah. So because he himself, you know, admits that the the idea of dying with zero is probably not very practical unless you yeah. know the exact day and minute that you're going to die, and right. we don't know that. Right. But uh, but I think the principles are are really helpful to to just think about because um, you know he gives examples of people who uh, like like I, one one that comes to mind where, you know, the guy says, Hey, when I've, uh, when I've amassed, you know, 40 million, then, you know, punch me in the face if I don't retire. Right. right. And he didn't, he didn't retire. You know, he, he got into the, the, you know, 4 billion or something before he ended up retiring. And, and, you know, Bill's whole take on that was that that was even to him, even to the individual, when he could think rationally about it, that was unnecessary for his, what his goals were in his life to, to, you know, become a, a billionaire. Right. And yet when he was in the middle of it, it was just impossible for him to, to, to draw back and say, well, h- how do I stop this, this train? I think, I think the, um, you know, I think the analogy um, I think of is uh, some of it's also related to education too, right? Like um, this is, um, you know, we're, we're talking about in terms of money, but uh, there's a lot of doctors on this show and who've gone through a ton of training. And I remember I was in college and uh, I got really into biochemistry and molecular biology. I was total geek. You know, I, that, I was not like a money oriented guy at all. I was a science guy. And, um, and I was talking to my chemistry professor about possibly doing a MD PhD program instead of a MD program. And it would have been, you know, you know, more years and then 
also it would probably end up with a postdoc and also uh, you know residency mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And she said, you know, it's it, it's it's certainly something to consider, but just make sure you know you don't spend the rest of your life waiting to get where you want to be. And I think that's what a lot of us ultimately do, Absolutely. right? We whether it's whether it's the resources of time uh, or money or energy or whatever, we're just there's like this this idea that you're going to eventually get to the top of the hill and then you can start sliding back down but you really haven't identified what the top of the hill actually is mm-hmm. and and I think that is a real problem now I'll tell you um just another anecdote for me like I mean I used to be a guy who just like spent very I mean like I didn't spend any money at all right I mean um and then COVID happened, then a divorce happened and all this stuff. And I'm like, geez, now I'm sitting around like, you know, I've got, I've got all this money, but like, you know, I'm not enjoying it. Right. I'm not doing anything with it. The next thing you know, like years later, now I'm like spending probably too much, but, um, and that's not what he's advocating necessarily to spend too much, but not really just constantly restraining yourself. Like, okay, you've made a lot of money. Now enjoy a little bit of it. Um, do the things that are, give you happiness. It's not just about buying things, but it's about, you know, experiences. It's about, you know, um, you know, vacations, whatever it's doing things with your family and relationships too. Right. It's not just, again, it's not just monetary. It's all these things together. So I, I, I found that, um, and just sort of more for me, it was like a reminder, right? Because we get into these situations where we just, you know, we're treadmilling it, treadmilling it, treadmilling it. And to the point about this guy, I mean, there is, there is another aspect to that uh, issue of the, you know, the, the 40 million, four, 4 billion guy. And that is mm-hmm. there, the exception of that is if you really, really enjoy something, I mean, it doesn't mean like, I mean, so like why give it up? Right. So that's the exception, yeah. but just make time for the other things you want to achieve in your life and actually think about it rather than, um, just let life happen to you. So Buck, I can remember being on a show and you, or, or listening to your show and you mentioning that, that accumulating wealth is often viewed for successful people like a game. Yeah. Right. It's like how you keep score. Right. And that thought kind of resonates when I think about this. So the question is, can I, can I, take a step back and actually think about, like you said, where that, where the peak lies, where I want it to be. Well, the problem is, is that it usually changes for most of us, right? My peak today, sadly, I don't know if it's sadly, it's very different than what my peak was a decade ago. And my guess is that what I believe will be. So, so part of it is almost like taking a practical and realistic approach about what we need and want, and then determining like, is going above and beyond something that's going to fulfill us in that way? Or does it make more sense to shift our efforts and maybe be more balanced? And I think that's what he's advocating for balance and experience. One of the, one of the concepts I thought too, like going back to this idea of dying with zero, it's not that he's saying, don't leave anything for your kids. Right. That's not what he's saying. In fact, there's a, there's a couple things that I think that are really important that we don't really think of um he goes into some level of detail about how people often end up leaving their kids with a lot of money but by the time they leave it those aren't the times when the kids really needed the money anyway so when he says die with zero part of that is give what you want to give 
today or not, you know, before you die. And right. rather than rather than waiting, which I think is a really important thing to consider, right? Like, for example, you know, if your kids are, if you're planning to give them a bunch of money when you die, I mean, why not help them out with the house uh, when they need it rather than let them struggle and stuff like that? Um, any takeaways on that? Yeah, really quick. So this this resonated for me as well. Again, my dad dies at 49. His parents are wealthy, like they're quite wealthy, probably, you know, $50 million type wealth. And certainly there could have been an opportunity. So now both of my, my mom passed away two years ago. And now this wealth that they have to give on, like, it's not even going to get to the second generation. Now, it'll still get to the to the third generation. But I think at the core, like it's it goes back to what you were saying and what he's suggesting in the book. There's huge value in making sure that you're taking the opportunity to to use those resources to create the experiences, because obviously you can't take them what you can't take money with you. Yeah. And it's about creating um, not just wealth for other your your children and your legacy, whatever, but also the experiences you potentially want them to have. I mean, I I'm making it a point, you know, right now um, to every chance we get, like with my daughters and, and me, my my three daughters. I mean, we'll we'll just take off and go do something. And it's always going to be something that like, you know, that I know they're going to re- remember forever. I took my oldest to the Grammys. Um, you know, I took the three of them to the Taylor Swift concert in, uh, in Arizona and we went hiking, uh, while we were there. It's like things to actually remember this. So again, it's important to think of when you're giving, um, it's not just about money, but it's also about experiences. Uh, clearly, obviously the, the, those experiences cost money as well. But my, my feeling on this is again, you know, why only accumulate? I mean, for unless, okay, maybe you're in your 20s or something like that, um, uh, and you can accumulate a little bit more. But uh, on the other hand, there's also things in your 20s and your 30s and even in your 40s that you can no longer do when you're in your 70s, right? So try to do those things. And that's a big part of the story as well. Um, Because like say, and I'm not like a, a guy who likes climbing mountains or anything like that. I'd rather not fall off a mountain. Um, but, uh, if that's what you want to do, do it while you're healthy, do it now. Don't wait because you don't know what's going to happen later. Right. Absolutely. And and like kind of you guys have talked about already, it, it seems like it's a, it's about balance. Right. Right. And taking those opportunities while you have them and, and recognize that being very intentional about the way you live your life, being thoughtful about what is realistic to do in, in 20s, 30s, 40s that you won't be able to do later uh, and and vice versa. Uh, but then also like, I really like what you said about uh, teaching your kids and we have kind of a unique perspective in, in because of what we do uh, specifically with Wealth Formula Banking. We have a lot of people who will be setting up policies where their children are the insureds and uh, even while they're, while they're very young minors, uh, you know, kids into their 20s, and then what they do is they still use the wealth formula banking strategy, but what they're doing is they're, they're teaching their children as they're going. So as, when they're analyzing a, a property, for example, to, or, or any kind of investment, they're involving the children in those, the due diligence and the, and the analysis of it. And then when, when it comes time to, to invest, then they're taking a loan from this policy. And especially with when they're minors, the, the owner of it is still the, the adult, right? The parent. 
but there's just the fact that it has the kid's name on it as the insured and, and that eventually that money's that that policy is going to go to the child psychologically it just makes a very different experience for them yeah. as they're learning the ropes so to speak and i want to get back to that because i think this uh, the, the how insurance plays into that uh, in a second because i think that's that's one of the reasons i wanted to have you guys join me with this but um but let's uh, just just moving on with some of the other topics that i think are important so when he t- actually talks about allocating resources, he is an engineer by training. So like, you know, he, he approaches with a very, um, you know, very uh, almost like a spreadsheet, right? Where he's got um, allocating your resources and, you know, he's, he's got these things. He's got these different separated uh, currencies, so to speak. One is money, one is energy, one's time. And effectively his idea is that, okay, um, you know, you basically got to allocate your resources. You have limited resources. So what do you want to do with this at the rest of your life? And the idea is, again, to accumulate, not just, uh, it's, a, it's, it's about trading in financial resources for other assets, namely memories. I think that's kind of what he's saying is like, there are things that you can't do. You may not be able to do when you're 80 or 90, um, Although with my new podcast, you may find that you may be able to. Um, I thought about that. Yeah, I I but the, so 80s and 90s, uh, you may not be able to climb that mountain. But if you at least you can remember doing it. And that's there's some value in there, significant value in there. Right. Um, and then you take that and then you take the things that are important and then you eliminate the rest. And again, that's probably why he did not accept my invitation to be on the show. <laughs> Because it wasn't a great use of his time or whatever. But um, uh, I I think that's important. So do you guys think, okay, so I think this, I've I've talked about this in another way before, but do you say no enough in your own Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Let me Hmm. give you an example. Like here's a, for me, and and I got this, uh, this advice from Dean Graziosi, who's, you know, it's a a marker, Hmm. a very good real estate guy. And, uh, Dean said that um, he said saying yes got me to ten million, and saying no got me to a hundred and a hundred million. Yeah. And and it actually is something I really thought about a lot because I think you know I actually um, I don't I don't really go you know there's a lot of things I just don't do anymore because I look at them very much as a why am I doing this kind of thing right like for example yeah. It's rare. You'll you'll never see me. You'll almost never see me at an event, um, like one of these podcasts, like investing invest uh, uh, events. Unless it's mine, of course it's mine. It's there's value in it for <laughs> for me, and like I think it's worth it for my 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 listeners. But like I don't go to a lot of these things, it's, and it's nothing against you know the people who are putting it on. But I'm like, really, what am I gonna you know what am I really gonna get out of this? And then the amount of time, and then you know time away from kids, time that I could allocate to others. I don't, I just, a lot of times it just won't do it. And, and so it's very rare when I'll do that. Um, I still, uh, it, it's hard for me um, with phone calls. I know, uh, you know, we have Wealth Formula Network and stuff. So we, I spend a lot of time, I spend my fixed time with those individuals who are in that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people want to have one-off conversations with me, which I would love to do, but it's really just not, really practical anymore it's very difficult to do that it's not the best way for me to 
to give back. So it's so I can't really do that. So I'm I'm curious on your own experiences whether you've uh, experienced that or at least thought about some of those things that you could eliminate and therefore um, free up more of your life to do other stuff. So you're probably getting from Rod and I like two varying ends of that spectrum, right? I probably fall more on your side, Buck, where I tend to like, in fact, I probably think too many things are a waste of my time. Yeah. Um, And Rod's just like, Oh, he just like, he has the conversations. He's always good to have the conversations. It's amazing. Really. Yeah. Um, his like stamina and energy. Um, but it's something that we as a business and like, even, even the way that we work with your, your, your clients, mm-hmm. like that has become so much more efficient over time. So I think yeah. that that's like something we're constantly thinking about. The question I that, that's starting to go through my head is, am I, am I thinking enough about that on a personal level? Cause right. I feel like I do that on a business level. Well, business I'm is sure business. I'm not sure if I do on a personal. Yeah. Business is business, Christian. I mean, that's, that's a totally thing that's, that's different in my opinion. But I think like you have a, dis, you know, you have choices, whether you're going to you know, people invite you to things and you don't really want to go. Do you go anyway? Just to be nice. You know, you know what I mean? There's, there's lots of those kinds of things that I feel like on a daily basis, like, I don't know, we don't, we don't really think of the, 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 um, time and energy is a resource that's limited and, and, and look at it the same way you might look at something and decide whether you want to buy it, you know? Yeah, All- Exactly. I'm just going to second what Christian said, because, uh, I was really shocked. Like he, he's a big sports fan, but I was shocked to find out that he, he has no, I shouldn't say no interest unless he's going with someone that really means a lot to him. He has no interest in going to the arena or to the field to, to actually watch the game. Like, cause he, again, I think it's a time thing. It's also a comfort thing. Just, Hey, he can create a better environment in his own home or whatever. Um, whereas I'm the guy that's like, Hey, you know, you invite me to the game. I'm going to go. Right. Well, yeah, that's different. Like, you know, it's a different experience altogether. I mean, I think like, you know, like watching sports, if you really wanted to watch the Super Bowl and and enjoy it the most, you probably watch it on uh, on TV if you really want to see every play and watch the ball. But, you know, like my friend, um, uh, I have a a friend who's a a part owner of the Seattle Kraken, Kraken uh, expansion team. Um, And... um, he he was nice enough to like fly us up to Seattle this weekend on Saturday and um and and sit in the owner's box and watch the game with him that Pretty was cool. that yeah, that's really cool was definitely worth my time because it was so fun yeah. what a great experience you know um so yeah i get it like but i think you know you you, you do need to you do need to uh, i think pay attention to things that you say yes and things that you say no to and they they also like they relate to things in business too a lot of times you know mm-hmm. i get a lot of you know i get a um a lot of uh calls from people who want to do business for me or or or, or you know emails and random things and i don't want to be rude about it but i'm not i mean what you know, if I answered every one of those, you know, things uh, that, that that I don't think that very, very unlikely that anything was going to work, actually be a benefit to our listeners. I, I just wouldn't have any time to do anything and be creative and try to uh, try to do things that are productive for this audience or for myself. So, 
But can I throw out a question or just a thought yeah, here? Yeah, We're yeah. switching gears just a little bit. So one of the areas that I felt the most like internal conflict in was when the author was talking about when he, he worked on worked on Wall Street. He was making like, I think he said $16,000 a year and he'd been trying to scrimp and save, goes to yeah. his boss. The bo- boss basically says, that's a terrible idea. What were you thinking? Like, you, you're going to make so much more money later that you shouldn't be trying to scrimp to save this $1,000. Mm-hmm. So that was the, it was that kind of extreme thought that I, I, I had like that conflict. I'm like, oh, you can't tell, you can't tell people making 20 grand to spend more money. Right, right. Right. But but from a principled standpoint, like it does make a lot of sense. And yeah. I look back on my own life and I probably focus too much on work and th- those types of things and not enough on like my health. So mm-hmm. like money's great, but it doesn't do you any good if you're not healthy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, I, I just I thought about that and I felt conflicted. But I will say like it's it keeps going back to balance. Um, I don't think I'm going to tell the, you know, the 21 year olds that are making 15 or 20,000 that they need to spend more. Um, but from a, like a philosophical principled standpoint, I absolutely think that we need to do more to enjoy money. Uh, he gave the example of like European countries who take far more time for other things, right? Personal time, leisure, travel, um, and anyway, that resonated with me. It seems like something that I should probably take note and do a little more of myself. Yeah. And, and just to piggyback after that, I mean, it reminds me of my, um, when I was a medical student and I was, uh, was working in this, um, this lab, this neurosurgery lab, as you guys may know, I started out in neurosurgery residency. Um, and I was talking to the attending surgeon who was like my, um, my boss and I was telling him about something and, um, you know, he's, he's, and I was like, you know, I don't really, I don't really have any money to do that. And he's like, dude, just borrow the money from your school. It's like super low rates and all stuff like that. And he's like, you know, he's like, you're going to be, you're going to be a physician and whatever that, you know, if you borrow 10 grand to do something now and eventually it's going to be so what you granted you know 10 grand later in in your future when you're already on this um i guess this track to go on to make multiple six figures is is nothing right um and actually that actually was really good advice i thought because um at least in that scenario like i wasn't you know an aimless 19 20 year old i was like a kid on a trajectory Right. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was going to make money. So if I was going to really if I knew it was going to make money, then, yeah, it made sense. Then don't worry that much about like, uh, you know, putting five grand away necessarily in a Roth IRA or something like that. Just spend it. I I, I totally get that. Totally. I I think that that's a different thing. Um, But, um, yeah, you know, um, this is probably a good time to pivot, because, again, why do I have Christian and Rod with me talking about uh, um, die with zero? Uh, well, first of all, like I said, Bill Perkins, I ended up being on his eliminate the rest, uh, list. And, um, and then when I, but when I think of death, I think of Christian and Rod. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're flattered. We're flattered. <laughs> so you guys know this story, right? Like when I got, uh, you know, I got the old guard COVID OG COVID before the vaccine and stuff. And I remember, um, uh, waking up and I had all the symptoms 
and I was getting tested. And while I was getting tested and I knew I had COVID because I knew someone had given it to me. Um, I said, uh, I said, what am I going to, what am I going to need? Okay. I'm going to go to the hospital and I'm going to try to get the monoclonal antibodies and try to like mitigate my risk of dying here. And then at the same time, I'm going to call Rod. Good I'm going to make sure. He's my first call too. I mean, I'm going to call Rod and make sure everything's good. Everything's good. Okay. So that being said, so I associate you guys with death and um, I hope yeah. you uh, take that as a compliment, I guess. But the, um, the concept here of die with zero. And I thought this was um, this, this is a, this is an opportunity, I think, to emphasize the potential role of various insurance um, opportunities, particularly if you talk about like wealth formula banking, where you're obviously like leaving, you know, you're using that money, but then there's a death benefit. So I kind of like the idea of like using these, um, you know, putting death, uh, I'm putting, putting die uh, with zero in the context of like, say a wealth formula banking thing and see how you could make it work. Like, could you, you know, to me, life insurance in this way is almost like a, a backstop. Like, okay, so even if I screw everything up, right, at least there is this, you know, this money for my kids if I screw everything up and whatever and lose it, lose a bunch of money. Um, so I'm, I'm curious on your take on that because the idea in theory would be, okay, now you've got a bunch of money. You're giving a bunch of you're you're you you've bought some insurance. You've got a big lump sum that they're going to get no matter what. Then you can, with some more confidence, spend the money on yourself and give them money while you're living and have those experiences with greater um, peace of mind. Did this cross your mind at all when you're reading this? So. Rod and I have done a little bit of uh, communicating back and forth on this over the last few days. And Rod, I think you probably take this one. Okay. You take the angle on wealth yeah. formula banking and I'll take more of a premium finance angle because I think both of them are super relevant, but we'll let yeah. you hit this one. Yeah. And um, what, what you just described, Buck, is what we, we call kind of that permission slip to, to spend. Yeah. Because if, because I know that, that I'm going to have this, this insurance that kicks in, um, and, you know, I should also say, you know, he, he addresses this in terms of like a long-term care type of perspective. Yeah. So there's the, what I'm passing on to my kids. There's the, what if I get sick when I'm later in life and I've, I've kind of spent this money that, then what happens? And that's right, the cool you, thing about you can add these that policies these, that we set up. That's because, so you can, because that's, you can add these yeah. things on the policy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's no additional cost to adding that rider on the front end. There's no reason not to. So we include these, they call it the chronic illness rider that takes care of that long-term care. And then more to your point, there's that death benefit that's going to pay out and leave a legacy to your children, you know, almost regardless right now we have people who are like, well, I don't care about the, the death benefit. I'm, I'm going to spend it down. I'm going to live off of it. And they do. Right. So they get to that retirement age. They've built up all this value inside of the policy uh, they were using it for for investing, flowing the money in and out of their investments and, and making it more efficient as they did that. And then we call it phase two. They get to this this stage. We don't usually use the word retirement around here. It's just like, hey, I'm slowing down. I'm going to you know live more off of my cash flows and my investments and things like that. Well, the cash value in that policy becomes another source of of that 
in this case, tax-free income that you could cash flow that you can be creating during your retirement years. And you can spend that down as low as you want. Um, and, and again, there's still going to be some death benefit there or, or not. Like you temper that a little bit and you, and you want to leave some death benefit. And so you, you tap into it when you need it. Um, maybe you have your regular expenses covered by the, the cash flows you were able to create through your real estate investing or business or whatever it might be. But then when you need to buy a car or you need to, you know, you're going to go on the special trip or whatever, then you tap into this tax-free source of income in your policy to, to use that, but it's more on an as needed basis. And, and then again, this death benefits ultimately going to pass on and be that, be that legacy piece, but it's going to pay out regardless. Right. And whenever you pass away, that that's going to be part of it. Yeah. So it's, again, it's, to me, it's the backstop, right? Like you screw up, you accidentally, you know, whether that's, you know, you screw up in your finances, whether, you know, you, you, you get COVID and die, um, on your way after talking to Rod, (laughs) um, or, you know, what it's a backstop. And to me, that's a, if you have that backstop, it's a lot easier to digest everything else in this book. For sure. Um, Christian, what were you going to say about premium finance? Because that's a different role because now you're just really, truly accumulating, right? Okay. Well, actually, I'm going to suggest to you, Buck, that I think that uh, the premium finance side is the most effective way to accomplish this die with zero. Okay. Okay, cool. So let me try to lay it out here. So he he basically suggests that um, obviously we want to spend more money, but he uses the, the challenge of not knowing when we're going to die, right? He tries to create this like death date. Well, it's hard to create a death date, but what you could do is you could buy an annuity, which is guaranteed to run your lifetime. And he suggests in the book, right? So he says, Hey, one thing that a person could do, and just think of it this way, Buck, let's say that I had a hundred million dollars and I know I need a million dollars a year to live off comfortably. I could just purchase this, uh, income annuity, let it pay out for the rest of my life. And I've at least got that part now covered. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then what he suggests is, well, that, that works great, except that there is the possibility that later in life, I could need more money if long-term care and medical expenses come up. And for most people, that's the case. So exactly. So what does he suggest to do there? He says, long-term care insurance, right? So here's what I would suggest. Um, And this is kind of where my head went using premium finance is basically a more can be can be and is a more effective way to accomplish both of those things. So if our objectives are one to make sure that we have enough money to live, right? Premium finance does that because of leverage, right? It creates leverage into our income so that, well, let's put it this way, Buck, if I were to compare my, uh, you know, simple income annuity that I get from a life insurance company versus the payouts expect even, I mean, even if we went like, you know, 30% of the payouts expected in the premium finance model, it would strongly outperform what we're expecting from the annuity. So just from an income basis, it's more, it's more powerful in that way. Yeah. Well, additionally, additionally, you've got this uh, death benefit. And if I have leverage on the death benefit, that means I have more leverage on the long-term care benefit as well. So from my perspective, I looked at this and I was like, okay, like the way to accomplish this, although I have one other thought, and that is that why not leave a legacy if you can? So again, he's suggesting you know, get long-term care insurance. And, and again, this is just one, one example, but what I'm suggesting here is you could accomplish those things in a more 
um, efficient, impactful, powerful way and still leave a massive death benefit all at the same time. And so from that standpoint, my thought is, why not do both? Well, that's right. And, and like, to your point, um, you know, you still have grandkids. You still have other, you know, uh, descendants that can benefit from the, your successes. It's not, you know, so it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not like you're doing this for nothing. And I also would just emphasize the point that you made earlier. I think Rod, that, I mean, this is, I think a very good conceptual framework, but it, it's, I mean, like most of us would not, go down this road of saying we're going to try to literally we're going to try to you know uh, use up all of our money while we're living in in some right. way or another like it just it's not realistic in my view that most people would do that certainly wouldn't do I certainly wouldn't do that but hopefully you have enough money where you can you know I think again um, take the lesson of not you know not just hoarding it and continuously um, continuously using it but Rod um, I mean I'm uh, actually Christian can you remind us though, because I know we just kind of have been using premium finance here, but for anybody who's listening, who, who actually doesn't know what you're talking about, maybe you can explain how, uh, in brief, how premium finance works. Yep. Yeah. Happy to. So, so basically what we're doing is we're purchasing a life insurance policy or policies utilizing the bank's money primarily. It might be a small percentage of our own money, but then we're, we're using leverage. So it's basically like buying life insurance the same way that most of us would invest in real estate. I might put 10% or 20% down on my life insurance policy. That gives me the opportunity to leverage the death benefit and the living benefits, which we talk about. So, so anyway, that's just a really kind of simplified overview. But if you think about it, it's pretty logical, right? If I can amplify the things that are happening here, it just makes it more powerful. And life insurance is incredibly unique in the sense that it's one of those few assets that you can leverage. It's just naturally built within it. Yeah. So, um, we've used the term, uh, wealth accelerator as well. So does this, uh, the wealth accelerator is a type of premium finance. Are you thinking of this in the context of wealth accelerator? And, and maybe you can explain again specifically what wealth accelerator is. Yep. Happy to. Okay. So in the wealth accelerator model, we, we change up a traditional premium finance a little bit. Most, most premium finance models are a little bit more aggressive than we like to go. So we take kind of, we call it conservative leverage, right? We want to use leverage, but we want to use it really wisely. So we've, we've developed or kind of in in concord with a few other people developed a strategy that allows you to use premium finance without having outside leverage with outside collateral. Sorry. Yeah. The leverage is there. The collateral is basically non-recourse, right? It's like non-recourse. Yeah. Yeah, That's an easier way to say it. So, so simply put, uh, I'll give an example in the wealth accelerator model. I might have, I might decide that I want to have a million dollars go into it over time. Um, again, I'm just throwing a a random example out. Maybe I put the first hundred thousand or the first couple hundred thousand into it. And then I let the bank fund it from there on out. And basically what's happening is I'm getting all of the, the benefits of life insurance built in the way that we do it to create income and, um, and the other benefits, but specifically to create income. Uh, that's really kind of the model that we're looking for. And of course, again, if I think about this in terms of how it works in comparison to like, like 
income annuities, which again is the example, it's just like a way to do the same thing, but do it significantly more like to do it better. Right. I, I don't know any other way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other, uh, one other thought on that, like, I mean, as you guys know, I've been sort of tinkering with a lot of different things because I, um, I'm focusing, you know, I'm, fo- I'm trying to like, you know, make sure that I've got legacy covered. Right. So you just never know. And, um, and I have, um, purchased like when I was, uh, even a few years ago, right. Like when I was, um, and I'm still in good health, but I was thinking to myself, well, I'm still in good health and, you know, I'm relatively young. I'm going to buy a huge amount <laughs> of, of a convertible, uh, term insurance. So basically what that is, it's, so I can, I bought a bunch of term insurance when I, you know, when it was uh, maybe five years ago or something like that. And, um, it was a lot, right? Like, so if I, if I were to try to convert that in or do that all in one year, it would be a a huge premium. So I didn't do Mm -hmm. that, but I wanted to have the option and I didn't want my, um, premiums potentially to be higher because I was older or maybe I developed some health problem and so on and so forth. So I grabbed as much term as I could. I maxed it out. It was pretty cheap. Um, but now I'm thinking, well, I've got it there. One of the things I may do is uh, what I'm thinking about doing is every year, maybe chipping off some of that term, converting it uh, and, and doing this kind of concept. So then, you know, you're, you, the nice thing about that is that you're um, every year you are doing your job in terms of increasing, uh, you know, the legacy that you're going to have. And put uh, you know over time, but it you know you, you're not putting a huge amount at once, but you're getting it to work, uh, and then it may be a benefit from you know if you want to use that money later for quote unquote retirement or whatever. But I, what do you think of that strategy? Well, so it it absolutely sets. So first off, Buck, I think you did a fantastic job of buying term insurance. Um, I was impressed. That was before we met you. Uh, the only thing I would say is don't buy your term insurance from Northwestern Mutual. But other yeah. than that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just being, I'm just yeah, being yeah, yeah. smart Alec. Uh, But yeah, like that was a really good move because it's allowed, it's been a catalyst and allows you to do a lot of things with it moving forward that right. you just may not be able to otherwise. So I really love that advice. Um, and then I forgot where I was going on the second point. Yeah, I can, I can so, take that from there. Yeah. Okay. So, cause you talked about, uh, like going in by steps, right? The wealth accelerator, yeah. but instead of, instead of saying, well, I'm going to set aside a million dollars now or $2 million now, I'm going to phase into it by setting aside, you know, exactly. a couple hundred thousand a year for the next five or 10 years yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, and we have a lot of people who do that. We, I call it stacking. So it's the yeah. exact same thing as Christian just described. We're always staying ahead of the curve. So that the pol- the cash value we're creating in the policy by itself is enough to cover cover the collateral. We don't have to come up with collateral from outside, but but you can build into it and do it on in bite sized pieces. Or or we have people who will say, hey, well, I just I just sold my practice and I have the two million right now. I'd rather just just jump in and do it. And and so I, you know you can do it all at once. The, that's the beautiful thing is it works either way. You get you can work towards this benefit. And then we just build it to, to where the person is at this point in time. I like these, so, I like these concepts because it reminds me of sort of like a Swiss army knife, right? Like it's one thing, but you can really use it for so many different things, yeah. whether it's legacy cash flow, stuff like that. And, and I think like it really works um, 
if you're thinking about like this whole concept die with zero or you want to like really enjoy your life in the in the right now without necessarily worrying too much about retirement without necessarily worrying about legacy it kind of is that swiss army knife that's covering everything yeah actually that's what i was going to jump in and say is that what's really nice about using like the wealth accelerator as an example is you're literally doing both things right if die with zero understand or like um taking a step back and experiencing things as a goal, then that helps you accomplish that because it's creating this guaranteed income stream that you could then move away from work and other things and allow that to put to plug in. And so you're literally accomplishing like all of those objectives, Swiss army knife style by using really any of those. And, you know, similar, I think the same thing applies uh, with wealth formula banking. They just have like slightly, you know, different, now, there's there's probably a few details that are different, but they have a similar impact. Yeah, I I actually Rod, I'm kind of with you on this one. I are not Rod with Christian. I'm not Christian. I'm on Christian's side here. Um, I kind of really like this concept with uh, accelerator. I really think it's a really cool thing to to do. And I and I, I do highly recommend. By the way, if people are contemplating these kinds of like permanent types of things but you're not sure you want to do it, just go get yourself some con- term convertible, convertible term through Rod and Christian because it's cheap and that'll give you options and you won't regret it if, you know, two years down the line, all of a sudden you develop diabetes and or like some sort of coronary artery disease and, and now no one wants to give you insurance, right? Yeah, can I just tell you, I wish that I had done that. Um, I don't have like any huge health issues, yeah. but enough so that it would create some challenges for me. And I look back and I think I, if I would have done that, I would have been in a better place. No question. Anything else guys? Or is it, I think that's, that's a pretty good wrap. I think though, uh, combining this with, you know, some of the things that we can do practically. Absolutely. Yep. I think it's a good overview for sure. Great. Well, listen, you can learn more about these strategies by contacting Rod and Christian, but I think the best way to do it is probably to go to wealthformulabanking.com. And I forget, guys, is there a, there, there's something with the accelerator on there, right? There's a webinar with Wealth Accelerator. Yeah, yep. so that's that's the one that, that uh, Christian's talking about. Um, and anyway, check it out. I think it's it's worthwhile. And again, I highly recommend reading this this book, Bill Perkins' Die With Zero. I think, you know, I, I personally don't look at it as a manual that I would necessarily follow to a T, but I think there's uh, pretty compelling things to think about. And um, I, w- I would highly recommend picking up a copy. Uh, but that's all for this week. Um, guys, thanks so much for being on the show and doing a little book club with me. Yeah, that was Buck. fun. Thanks, Buck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Again, I highly recommend this. I know it would have been great to have Bill Perkins on the show you know, but obviously I didn't meet the criteria in order for him to uh, spend the time with me. And that's fine. Totally get it. But he wrote a great book called Die With Zero. And I almost said spend with zero, which is kind of what maybe what I'm thinking in my head, what I'm doing, but die with zero. Anyway, pick it up. Great book. Uh, Do something about, you know, not just thinking about accumulating cash, do some things in your life that actually are meaningful. You know, you only got one life as far as you know. So anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this show and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions 
not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.